Welcome to Father's Day Sunday. Uh, it is great to see you all here. It's great to be back from vacation, but great to see you all here. And, and I want to throw out a kind of a, an additional compliment slash thank you slash attaboy to the dads in-house this morning. Um, it's quite a contrast when you study the, the system of church, if you will, the characteristics of church. Um, by and large, when you look at the most attended Sundays and then like when people come to church, uh, the top three, and some years they waffle back and forth, but they're really, really close together, Christmas and Easter as you would expect, right? I mean, like, those are kind of big deals in the life of the church. Anybody know what the third and sometimes second most attended Sunday of the year is? Anybody want to guess what one of the least attended Sundays of the year is? Oh, dudes, let's talk for a minute here. Like, somehow we have created this ridiculous culture where we go to church with mom and we go out to play with dad on Sunday. That is not good. You know, like, you cannot be leader of your house when it comes to being like the, the spiritual leader of your house when you have built an empire on, we go to church with mom, but we go out and do things with dad. Listen, you got all weekend. Go do things Sunday afternoon, but thank you so much for being in church on a Sunday morning because by, this is what matters in life. It is the things of eternal nature that matter in life. And so you, especially fathers that have brought your families in this morning, I just want to single you out in a very, very good way and say the old Adam boy. I'm glad that you're here. Now, one of the things that we're going to do this morning, and it may seem a bit odd, uh, but it'll make perfect sense once we jump into our text here in just a few moments. It is, it is our responsibility this morning to pick our King of Father's Day. All right. We say King of Father's Day. I, I, we need to pick someone who would be our leader, have some longevity in leading. So I want you to look around the sanctuary, everyone that's here. I want you to kind of look around and take note of the men that are in church because you, you cannot be the leader if you're not here. Amen. So look around, all right, and we need to kind of nominate a couple of fellas to be the king of Father's Day. Who might throw out a nomination? I hear Don Osbrooks. Don, would you stand for us? Go ahead and stand. You got to stand up right there, my man. All right, I need another nomination. I have a Jared. All right, Jared, would you stand for us? Somebody who's not, this is a bit of an irony, we have now nominated two people from the back row of the sanctuary. <laughs> so if you're in the radio, on the radio this morning, picture that for just a moment. Our first two nominees are from the back of the sanctuary. Now, who else might we nominate? Chad Mitchell. Chad Mitchell. Hey, we'll get somebody from the front. Chad, go ahead and stand up. All right, so here's what I want you all to do. We got three of us. I want you all to help me by telling me why these three individuals, when you look at them, I need a couple of reasons. We'll even start with Don. Why would Don be a good king for Father's Day at ECN? What do you think? Mustache. Mustache. There we go. All right. <laughs> That's awesome. Again, if you don't attend ECN and you're listening on the radio, trust me, Don has the epic mustache of all time. That's exactly right. All right. So you look around. Let's go to number two kind of nominated was Jared. So like, you think about why would Jared be a good king of Father's Day for ECN? Somebody give me a reason. There are what? Very few things he cannot do. All right. So kind of a utility player. He played baseball in college and appreciates that. A utility player. You can put him wherever you need to. Now, we got our front row representation. I guess third row, but might as well be front at this point in the story. Our front row representation up here, Chad Mitchell. Somebody tell me why Chad Mitchell would be the right king for ECN's Father's Day. We got lots of good reasons. I, I didn't either because there were so many at one time. That speaks well of you. I, he always puts others first. He always puts others first. I'm going to tell you what, I don't think there's a need for us this morning to go to put it to a vote, all right? But I just want to illustrate if you were to look around for kings this morning, these three absolutely should be on the list, all right? Now, let me look around for just a second. 
Calvin, would you stand up for me, buddy? I'm going to make it permissible for you to stand up in your chair this one time in the sanctuary. Ever in your life can you stand up in the chair so people can see you, okay? Would you mind at least waving? There's Calvin. There you go. All right. Let me explain to you all why Calvin will be our king. The rest of you can be seated. We look back at a story this morning. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And the story goes so, so similarly to what we just did. There's a guy by the name of Samuel who serves Saul. We'll call him as a bit of a spiritual advisor. Uh, he has been sent by God to the house of Jesse, which is this very, very um, uh, interesting thing to be sent there in the first place. Okay, So he's going to see uh, Jesse who has numerous sons. And Saul uh, is unaware of what Samuel is doing. So Samuel is going there and, and God is telling Samuel as kind of the mouthpiece of God, go to Bethlehem, go to the house of Jesse and that you need to, to, to pick or anoint the one who will be king. And Samuel says, well, that's a little bit awkward because we still have a king. And God says, go anyway. So he goes to the house of Jesse and he gets there. And when he does, Jesse starts bringing out the sons that he would most likely pick. Now, the first three that he brings out are named Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema. All right. That was kind of the, the, the picture for you all to see this morning. The most likely candidates. Okay, no offense to the rest of us. All right. I'm not saying there are not other great candidates in the room, but for our purposes this morning, I think we can all agree somewhere between Jared, Don, and Chad, we'd end up with a pretty good king. Amen? Pretty good leaders there. You know, solid, solid guys. That wouldn't be a bad thing at all. And so he looks at those three, and the crazy thing is Eliab is the, one of the first ones to come through. Uh, and when he looks at them, like you, you kind of picture what you would expect to see in a king. And when, when he walks through, Samuel is told by God, do, do not be confused by his looks. Even though he may look and seem like the king, he's not the one. And so they call for the next, and then they call for the next. And eventually, it's not just Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema that have come through, but then there are a total of seven sons. And can you imagine being the seventh son that walks through, and Samuel is still sitting there? Again, 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where this story is told in great detail. Please go and read the entire story this afternoon. He's sitting there, and he watches as that last son comes through. And Samuel doesn't feel like any of them are the right guy. He's still left with like, I know I was sent here. And so then there's this really weird conversation like, hey, uh, Jesse, I was sent here and I'm just telling you that your sons are great. They're great. But do you have another one? Is this it? You know, like, because I, I don't feel so moved, you know. And in the process, you see there have been those sons that have already been paraded through, right? And Jesse says, well, I have one, but my, my other son, he's out watching the sheep, all right? Now, you need to know this. Shepherding is not a glorious job whatsoever. Uh, it's not something that is like for the... It wasn't like all of the sons who were left over who were at home because the elite were out guarding the sheep. It's actually quite the opposite, right? Like the young one. As a matter of fact, when the Bible talks about, uh, about David in great detail, one of the things that it describes David as is ruddy. All right? Uh, oftentimes spelled in English R-U-D-D-Y. Anybody know what it means to be ruddy? Red-cheeked. There you go. I knew somebody in here would know it. That his complexion was red-cheeked and that he was small and that he was younger and all those sorts of things. Now, that's not to say this morning that if you have red cheeks that you're somehow inferior to those without red cheeks. It's just identifying him as being different from the other brothers, right? But he says, like, he's the one out shepherding. And so David begins to walk in, and when Samuel sees him, he knows immediately this is the one. Now, I'm, I'm not here this morning to throw shade on Jesse as the father. As a matter of fact, by all accounts, as what we read about Jesse throughout time, he's actually a good father, all right? But, but for just a moment, think with me for just a little bit. When Samuel shows up and says he's wanting to, uh, to anoint one of the sons, 
Can you imagine for just a minute what it was like to not make the list as one of Jesse's boys? Not even to get the invite. Not even to be brought away from your chores in the midst of it. And, and I get it, like there's, there's some age discrepancies there, there's some questions to be asked about those sorts of things, but like, you ever sometimes wonder, David as he is finally being asked, almost as if he was the leftover or the afterthought in this process. Like he wasn't the initial, the initial person. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think it's a great illustrative point to make that when I asked us this morning to be the king of the day here at ECN, we listed several men in this, and yet probably the first ones to come to mind weren't necessarily Calvin, is our point. Calvin, how old are you today, buddy? You and Rowan both, how old are y'all? Six and seven, is that right? Awesome, all right. So you don't normally, <clears throat> you don't normally pick a six or seven-year-old in that process of deciding who's a king. I want to say something very clearly. Again, I want to make sure you're not hearing me throw rocks at Jesse. I'm not doing that whatsoever. But I'm saying this, when Samuel came to anoint, that this, was the, this is the person to be anointed, David missed the list. And, and I just, especially on Father's Day this morning, when we look back at this story, and we're going to go through the story of David and talk about his growth, his development, and how, how David grew throughout time in this, I need you to see this morning that in the very beginning stages of what we read about David, whether his father believed in him or not, you see, I recognize that, that some of you have had fathers who have believed in you and have been great encouragements to you. If you're one of those, you thank God, don't you? That you had a dad who spoke into your life, who cared about you and who took care of you because you also know friends of yours, or maybe you are the one sitting in the sanctuary this morning, that dad flat out did not take an interest in you. You have friends more than likely. I've had friends I knew for years before I found out and heard stories of how their parents, especially their fathers, had chosen one child over another, buying sports equipment for one and refusing to buy for the other, to tell the other to go get a job to take care of his own sports equipment, showing up to watching games for one and not for others, investing in one and not for others. And I recognize that in a congregation this size, we have people who both know what it is to have an earthly father who believes in them but we also know what it means to have a very absent earthly father presence in our lives, if not, even, if not even detrimental father presence in our lives. And one of the things I need you to hear in this story, this is not necessarily, this story of David is not necessarily about Jesse and how Jesse saw him, but what I want us to look at for just a moment is to recognize, regardless of what your earthly father representation is, when Samuel sent by God arrives on the scene, Samuel, by God's direction, sees David for who God sees him to be. You understand? Sees David as who God sees him to be. And I'm telling you this morning, no matter how you may see yourself this morning, please hear in this story that God had a major, massive, incredible, beautiful plan for the shepherd boy who was left outside. You know, it, it doesn't matter this morning how you see yourself, what job you have, what, what, what responsibility you have, or what lot in life you see yourself as, as owning or, or, or as being who you are. Your heavenly Father sees you at a much deeper level than you see yourself. And in this story, this is kind of that beginning stepping stone for David in recognizing that, that God had a purpose for him. I wonder sometimes as we work through that, like realizing that God has a purpose for us, like, at what point do we start and how do we start living into that? Because we're guilty sometimes of seeing people who we see them as living into what God has called them to do. 
we see them in a place where, where it looks like they've got things figured out and they're, they're doing things as God has called them to do, but we don't recognize that, the, that there was a, a process for them to get to that point. You understand? Like It wasn't just that they arrived one day and now all of a sudden they're, they're fully living into and doing what God has called them to do, that there, there had to be a process in that. And in the same way, David has a process. As a matter of fact, some of you who have read this story before, go back with me for just a moment and start asking the question, what was one of David's first assignments post being a shepherd? Anybody remember what he started doing, more living into God had a, had a specific plan and a purpose and it would call him out of his comfort zone. And the crazy thing is, I'll give you a little bit of a, of a tip about it. He played a musical instrument. Anybody remember what instrument he played? A harp. <clears throat> Not very often do we uh, elect kings in 2023 because they play the harp. Amen? Not the most manly, kingly thing to play. As a matter of fact, if you were going to play a manly, kingly instrument, what do you think it might be? The drums, hitting things. Yeah, I don't know why we associate that, but that's what we do, right? And if not that, probably the guy who stands back there in the back thumping the bass. You know what I mean? Like, that's how we see, in our minds, playing an instrument that evokes like, yes, that is one dude of a dude, right? It's not the guy with the ring. That's my best harp impersonation I got. All right? Like, that's all you're going to get one time. And I know it's on the radio now, and you, you all didn't get to record it, so I don't have to worry about it showing back up on my Facebook or my Instagram pages. In that, in that, you see him showing up, and because he has this gift. Now, what is that step? To use his harp, how was he using that gift, and God was continuing to grow him? How did he use it? Anybody remember? I'll give you a hint. That guy Saul we talked about who didn't know about the anointing and all that taking place, a very twisted and kind of tangled story here. It says that he was tormented by an evil spirit. And the only thing he found that would give him ease, and it would say that the spirit, by the way, was not like always uh, um, afflicting him, but that it would come and go. But something that would help him was to listen to David play the instrument. Can you imagine shepherd boy now being brought into royalty to play his instrument to ease the tormenting spirit that the king was dealing with? And now we read later on that he ends up becoming the armor bearer within the story. Let me tell you, when you think about people who have become and are, are the people that God has called them to be, Please recognize it starts with steps. It's not one big jump. It's not one big bound. It is in small steps that they move forward. This afternoon, we're going to be celebrating the life of a man who went to church with us for a little over five years. Jerry and Linda Alexander stepped into ECN and became family in a very, very quick manner. Amen? Family. Let me tell you, Jerry Alexander has been a part of feeding meals. Many of you, we, we did a little bit of math calculations based on what we averaged this past year. We feed 7,000 meals a year on Wednesday nights. 7,000. Jerry's been doing that for, he and Linda, all right, have been working hand in hand for the last four years. I know there's some COVID involved in that and those sorts of things, but like, it's not a far stretch to say that man has been involved in feeding 20,000 meals out of that room down the hallway over the last four to five years crazy to think about. You know what else about Jerry Alexander? He sits on the board for Bethesda Mission. Donates a day a week sitting down here making sure people get fed, taking care of folks. Let me tell you, the Jerry Alexander that you all knew is not the Jerry Alexander that people knew before he got here. I want to be very careful here. I'm not telling you that Jerry Alexander was some uh, hell unit of sorts going off and doing the devil schemes. I'm not painting that picture whatsoever, but I'm just telling you this morning, and if you come to the funeral this afternoon, you'll hear his family talk about the growth that they saw take place in their father and grandfather's life. So much so that the last five years of his life that you all got to enjoy, Jerry was a different man than the 75-ish preceding. Let me tell you what, the man continued to grow. He continued to take steps. And one of the things that I'm appreciative of is that this afternoon we get to celebrate a man 
who grew in his relationship with Christ, so much so that over the last few years became more passionate about sharing Jesus with his own family members and his grandchildren. And oh, by the way, if you didn't notice, there's a baptistry behind me because the one grandson he didn't see get baptized came to his grandmother yesterday and said, I don't know what else to do at my grandfather's funeral, but I feel like I need to straighten my life out and be baptized tomorrow. So we're going to baptize someone at the end of a funeral. How about that? You know, like, how about that? That, my friends, is making a statement of what it means to continually grow and take those next steps. It doesn't stop there, as a matter of fact. When this story continues on, David goes from being the heart boy who plays from Saul to the boy who shows up at his brother's a place of business, if you will. But business was war at this point in the game. They are soldiers who were serving. And when he shows up there, he sees this gargantuous man across the way. Many of you have heard this story time and time again. It's the story of David and Goliath. The Goliath who stood some nine foot nine inches tall as we calculate him today. The man who carried armor that weighed 125 pounds. This said that the, the, the head of his spear weighed 15 pounds. We're talking about someone who showed up on a daily basis and not only trash talked the people of Israel, but trash talked their God in the process would make insults and hurl insults across them, uh, across a valley back and forth. And David arrives on this scene. You see, he had been taking steps already, recognizing that God had a call in his life, and then moving forward to where he was serving Saul. That's first thing outside of his comfort zone. But then David shows up in a place where this Goliath, this Philistine, is calling across and, and saying, if any of you want to go to battle and you win against me, we will no longer fight. We will essentially give up to you. But if we win, then you will give up to us. By the way, this is a known way of fighting in their day. If you continue to go to war and to go to war, what do you run out of? Soldiers. Army. So a known way of fighting was to select your baddest to go fight their baddest, if you will. All right? This was not an uncommon thing. It wasn't an unheard of thing. And so, of course, when you're a Philistine, who do you send? Nine foot nine Goliath out there. Do you know what a nine foot nine guy does in intimidating other people? Have you guys ever seen, there's a guy on Instagram I've been following here recently, and I have not dove into the full depth, so like you may uncover something, he's a horrible person, I don't know. But so far, there's this gentleman by the name of Eric Konevsky. Eric Konevsky is the biggest muscle-bound, and I don't know what it is about big dudes with a shaved head and a big old burly beard, Pastor Jeremy. I don't know what it is, but like when they walk out, like it, they command a bit of attention. You know what I mean? Like a little bit intimidating. And the best thing is the guy talks with a Russian accent. I know like it's just part of the American culture. We've had bad guys in our movies that were Russian all the time. So it, it brings about a different level of emotion. And he walks out into parking lots at grocery stores. And when people leave buggies out in the parking lot, he walks up and taps on their window and says in a German accent, what is the problem? You know, then it starts telling him, you left your buggy, there's a cart. There's a place for the carts. Why did you not take it back to the carts? And most of the guys are like, oh, yes, sir. I'm sorry, sir. Let me, let me go put my cart back up. You know? and, you, and he'll walk with them, being very nice and talking. I just don't understand why you couldn't put the cart back, the buggy back in the cart like everyone else, like good human beings would do. You know? like, he's flabbergasted by this and walks with them and goes and does it. It's hilarious to watch happen because let me tell you what, when big old Eric shows up knocking on your window, the vast majority of people crumble when they see him, and that's what's going on here with the Goliath. David shows up and sees them, and when you read the story in 1 Samuel 17 now, it's almost like he's infuriated that nobody else is stepping up to the plate to fight this guy. And David, young, ruddy, heart-playing shepherd boy David, decides to step up to the plate 
In the process of back and forth, there's some beautiful exchanges that take place. One of those, Goliath says back to David. It says that Goliath, apparently, picture this in your mind, it wasn't just shouting across a valley, but at some points Goliath was coming closer, close enough to see that David was arming up to fight him. And he says, what am I, a dog that you come after me with sticks? <laughs> he insults David and says, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to feed, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. All right? Little David, I want you to picture Calvin in this part of the story, by the way, because it makes it even better. Little David looks back at Goliath and shouts back at him, I'm going to cut your head off and feed your army's carcass to the birds. Tell you what, you, you bring fighting words like that, you know what I mean? Like, it is absolutely on. As a matter of fact, in the story, this is in the same time frame when David is being prepared, and Saul sends him his, uh, his tunic, but he also sends him a, a, a coat of armor, if you will, a, a suit of armor, and David begins to put this stuff on and realizes he can't fight that way. He can't use all this armor. He's not big enough. He can't carry it. It's not going to work for him. He takes all of that stuff off, and as many of you have read the story, he goes down and he selects five smooth stones from a nearby creek. He comes back up, and at about this time is when this exchange is going back and forth, and the story reads that when Goliath shouts the insults against David, and David shouts the insults back, it is that that Goliath begins to move forward to charge to come after David, and David, selecting one stone out of his little pouch, slings that swing around, sling back and forth. And when he lets go of that rock, y'all, the Bible spares no details. The rock not only hits Goliath, it hits him where? Some of you remember? In the forehead. And what happens to that rock? It says in the Bible that that rock plunged into Goliath's forehead. Plunged in. I've been hit with rocks before and it stings. I have no idea what type of energy is coming through when it plunges into the forehead of a nine foot tall man, okay? But David absolutely takes him out. And you want to know the rest of the story? David goes to him, uses Goliath's own sword to cut Goliath's head off. And when the rest of Israel sees it, I know some of you are like, this is too gross. Get over it, it's the Bible. Get mad at me all you want, this is how the Bible works, all right? Cuts the Philistine's head off, and when the, Israel, when the army of his army sees that, they recognize, oh folks, one of the greater things is, when, when Goliath had been taunting back and forth with David, David shouts out about what it means to fight. And he's talking about, you know, you're fighting for you, I'm fighting as a part, and, and, and I'm, I'm, part of, I'm part of the army of the Lord God Almighty. You understand? Like, he recognizes his place in this, and so now at the conclusion of it, it's not even the conclusion, he cuts off uh, Goliath's head. The rest of the army charges. They end up winning this battle in the process. It says that David takes uh, Goliath's uh, armor back to his own tent. Saul recognizes what's going on. There's this really weird exchange where Saul says, whose son is that? Seems very, very weird because he'd already been serving Saul at some level. The way we read this chronologically, we assume that the playing the harp for Saul preceded this army scene, but there's, there's a chance that's a little bit off, but the expectation is that's the way it worked chronologically. But regardless, Saul says, whose son is that? And people have asked the question, like, why did they ask whose son it is? Well, one of the reasons was Saul had promised incredible riches to the family. Whoever beats the Goliath, we will give you all of these gifts. And so some people are saying he's, he's wanting to know who the father is so he knows where to send all of those goods and those sorts of things. And he, he ends up sending one of his servants and saying, find that man, see who he is, and tell him to come back to my tent. And folks, if ever there's an exclamation point on David winning the battle, does anyone remember what David brings back to Saul's tent? He walks in with the head of Goliath. Folks, I'm telling you, watch all the movies you want. The Bible is rich. Let me tell you what, it is rich. Walks back in with the head in hand. Like, if ever there was an exclamation point on, on that exchange back and forth, right? I need, you to, I need you to see this story for just a moment and recognize this. 
We talked earlier about the, the Jesse, the, the person that, that was speaking into David's life and about kind of his relationship there. But we're, we're really watching this David as he continues to grow. And when we find him at this point of the story, I need you to hear it from two perspectives. Did you notice in the story that Saul tried to equip David to win the battle? I told you right. He, he gave him what? His own tunic and then some armor. And David says, I can't fight that way. It's not, it's not the way I can fight. Folks, there are so many, so many levels of leadership that are taking place in this. Number one, young men, I need, I need you to hear this. Old men, I need you to hear first, equip the young men who are coming behind you. Amen? Work diligently to equip them with everything you know of how to win battles, but also recognize that there will come a time when a young man comes after you and he will not fight evil the same way you fight evil. Young men, I need you to hear. David in this process recognizes that Saul is trying to equip him, but he recognizes even more so that the way he will win this battle is by trusting God and guiding him through it. You understand what? God will be the one to empower him and to send him through this. Again, all 1 Samuel chapter 17, you've got to go back and read this entire. There's so many other things that are taking place in this. But folks, as you, as you watch this story unfold, David says something in this whole process that is just foundational. As he is not choosing the armor and he is going to get stones, he makes this statement. God has prepared me by defeating the lion and defeating the bear when I was defending my sheep. He, will, he has prepared me for this. There is this beautiful moment where David begins to realize that the life lessons that God has been giving him all along the way has been God preparing him for what was to come next. Understand? He learned how to play the harp and then Saul said he needs someone to, to play in such a way that would help him find ease in those times of torment. He learns to defend sheep by slinging stones. And the next thing you know, he's in a place where God uses what God had taught him before. Hindsight is such a beautiful thing. Amen? You look back and you see that. And so my question for you this morning, especially men, but this is a, a lesson across the board, but especially on Father's Day, God has already been preparing you for whatever you're going to face. So when you face things and you come into contact with something that is intimidating, maybe a solid question is, not whatever am I going to do, but maybe, God, how have you already prepared me to handle this? And then number two, how can I trust you in fighting or taking this on in whatever way you would have me take it on? That's the challenge of being a man. Like that's the challenge of being a father today is to recognize that God has already equipped you and will both also lead you into the unknown. Amen? What a beautiful thing this morning to be reminded of, so much so that I think that our closing time together is best served in this way. If you are a father in Erin Church of the Nazarene, I not only ask you to stand, but I want you to come up here and gather around as we pray together for each other and as fathers. So if you're a father in this congregation, stand up and come on up here with me. I know when ladies come up here and do these sorts of things, they're a little bit better at it and they get all huggy and those sorts of things, okay? Let's break down barrier for just a moment. Put a hand on a shoulder. Look around for just a second and acknowledge we are fathers with specific tasks. And no matter if you find yourself fathering children that are infants or fathering children that have infants or even further down the line, God has already prepared you to face whatever you are going to face and He will be with you as you continue to face it. And that brings about an extreme sense of confidence. Not in your ability, but in the God who continues to send you. He's been doing it forever and He will continue to do that.
Let's pray together. God, we come before you this morning thanking you for who you are and thanking you for your many, many different blessings. God, thanking you for the opportunity this morning, especially as fathers in a church, to be reminded of stories like David, one that continued to grow, one that continued to mold and adapt and become the person that you called them to be. And God, our heart's desire this morning is that, God, you would bring us into being men that you've called us to be, fathers that you've called us to be. God, that you'd help us in whatever next step it is. For some of us, it may be those first few steps of just acknowledging that God has called us to something much bigger than we ever realized. God, for others, we may be needing to step further into that reality, maybe stepping further into the, the proverbial playing the harp for Saul or the proverbial taking on whatever the Goliath is. But God, no matter what our next step is, we give you praise for being the one who will go with us, the one who has already prepared us, and the one who will escort us through whatever it is we're facing. God, this morning we love you and we thank you and we pray for your continued anointing upon us. In your son's name we pray, amen.